Today on Motley Fool Money, one week into the new year, and already the Nasdaq is down 5%. We've got thoughts to help you through it, as well as a few stocks that are looking more attractive at their current price. All that and a lot more coming up right now. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. Global Headquarters. This is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, joined by senior analysts Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Good to see you both. Hey, hey. How you doing, Chris? We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We've got news out of the big CES trade show in Las Vegas. And as always, we've got a couple of stocks on our radar. But we begin with mixed signals from the big macro. The U.S. economy added just 199,000 jobs in December, far fewer jobs than economists had been predicting. But the unemployment rate fell to 3.9%, and the U6 rate fell to 7.3%. Ron, we're going to get to the markets in a minute, but among other things, this seems like one of those months that is going to get revised up in the future. That wouldn't surprise me if we saw that, because this was definitely a weak number. Labor markets are tight right now, so um, maybe uh, there's just not a lot of jobs to have. But I don't, I don't see that because we see so many people um, requesting um, people come into the workforce, um, and that does impact the labor participation rate that you mentioned. Um, but this was definitely a weak um, report. Leisure and hospitality led the way, which is good. I was happy to see that. Uh, we took a breather from that last report. Um, wages rose more than expected. Good, but another sign of inflation, um, and as if we needed another sign. As you mentioned, the un- unemployment rate dropped to 3.9%. That's a pretty full number, a full employment number. Not bad. Labor participation holding steady at only 61.9%, uh, though, as you mentioned, the all-encompassing U6 down to 7.3%. So, the economy's strong, labor market's tight, inflation's high, COVID's still with us, supply chain disruptions persist, and that's where we are, and that's what the Fed is faced with dealing. So, what have they done? Investors had been preparing for the Fed to start hiking interest rates, taper the amounts of bonds it buys each month, and reduce the $9 trillion in assets that it is holding. But investors didn't necessarily expect to get hit with all three at the same time in such an aggressive manner. The market can digest gradual, but too aggressive gets investors uh, kind of spooked. Um, and so I think that's some of what we've been seeing with um, certainly some of the, the higher flying stocks selling off. 10 year Treasury yields, which informs so much about what happens in the stock market, pushed above 1.75%, ended the year at 1.51%. So a pretty big tick up in interest rates. Uh, you know, stocks that rely on significant future growth get hit in a rising interest rate environment because it impacts the present value of future cash flows, 
but it also increases the borrowing costs that are so necessary for those companies that are investing in innovation. In innovation, so you see the Nasdaq, you see the high flyers of 2020 get whacked. Nasdaq's around eight percent from its high, but some individual stocks, specifically non-profitable high flyers, some that really benefited from the pandemic, are down 40, 50 percent or more. As a proxy, we can see that the Ark Innovation Fund is down more than 40. 8% from its February 21 high. Uh, Jason, Ron talked about um, hourly wages going up, the tight labor market. Among other things, it seems like one of those times where it is more important than ever that the companies we are shareholders of are really good at hiring and retaining their employees. Um, he talked about the NASDAQ. One of the areas of the market that you look at, financials, this seems like a moment in the sun for financial stocks after a pretty rough decade or so. Uh, are financials an area where investors should be looking right now? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think so. It's 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 a theme that uh, Matt Frankel and I talked a lot about in 2021. Uh, we knew this day was coming, right? I mean, interest rates really kind of had nowhere to go but up. We're hearing everything from three to four. I mean, you even hear people talking about, wait, what about five potential interest rate uh, hikes during the year? Uh, who knows how that ultimately shakes out? But it is it is worth noting that I mean, the financials have really had a tough time of it over the past several years uh, in regard to profitability because of those. Low interest rates, right? And so, as those interest rates start to tick up, that benefits uh, the the banks, uh, the the big financials, and, and, and you know the markets. The market's not stupid. I mean, it's it's a forward looking mechanism. So there is some some of that is being accounted for in the valuations today. But but my guess is, as the year goes on, as we see those incremental bumps up, we'll see the banks continue to benefit more and more. Uh, so you couple that along with uh, robust share repurchases with reserves that continue to be released as they as they played it uh, more conservatively over the past couple of years. I, I definitely think the financials represents an opportunity for investors should keep their eyes on that space this year. Ron, how should investors be thinking about? I mean, I've got a couple of stocks that are down 60, 70 percent from where I bought them. Um, is this a pack your lunch situation where you just sort of strap it? How do you decide what are the ones worth riding out and what are the ones that it's time to cut bait? Such a great question, especially in this environment. So, without meaning to be harsh, I want to say that it is irrelevant where your stocks were. Although it certainly can play with your emotions and be pretty concerning to see your stocks down or in the red. But honestly, the only thing that really matters is if you're happy with the company you own and you like the investment based on where the stock price is right now. So let's use Twilio as a great as an example. Great investment now, maybe you think, at $230 a share. But because you may own it at $400 a share, you get frustrated and decided to sell. So, you've just sold a stock that you admit looks good at the current price. What you should have done is either sit tight, pack that lunch, or possibly even buy more if it fits into your allocation strategy and your risk profile. So, it's really important to look forward and not backward. Some of these stocks got ahead of themselves as a result of the pandemic. Now they're cooling down a bit. The good ones will continue to regroup and rise forward. Some of these non profitable ones will become profitable and continue to grow. Into the future. Uh, before we move on to uh, some other stock news of the week, uh, Jason, what is a stock right now that is looking 
say, more attractive at its current price than maybe it did a year ago. Oh wow! Uh, there, there are a lot, a lot of different ways to look at that, right? I mean, I think I think Ron keyed in on um, some of these, some of these good businesses that have have pulled back significant, significantly uh, recently. I think Twilio certainly stands out as a shareholder myself, uh, and, and being a stock that I've recommended, uh, that does stand out. I, I feel like. This is a great time to really focus on those established companies that are profitable, that are growing. I mean, they do exist, right? Not every tech company out there is is unprofitable. So you look at companies like Adobe. Adobe is one that really comes to mind here. Um, it's it's not had the greatest uh, stretch here, down thirteen percent over the last six months. I mean, I, I think that's a pullback uh, that represents an opportunity for investors. I mean, to be clear, I own Adobe shares. I think it's a wonderful business, and I. I think its its uh, its business model is one that that uh, it, the subscription angle to it. It's such a sticky business. I mean, it's a digital media company essentially. At the end of the day, it it, it is something that is going to be with us. I think for many many years to come. So I, I see Adobe as one that stands out. But then then also back to financials. I mean, look at some of these more established players in the payment space. I mean, I, I, PayPal to me. This is just a no-brainer in my mind. I mean, this pullback. I understand the growth concerns there as they continue to wean themselves off of off of eBay. But but ultimately, longer term, that is a good thing for this business. And they have so many different avenues of growth within that business, whether it's Zoom remittance or whether it's PayPal or whether it's Venmo. I mean, it continues to grow and push so much money through that network. Uh, those are two names that really stand out to me today. Ron, you got one. If you're relatively conservative, take the eight to ten percent pullbacks of wonderful companies like Microsoft and Apple. If you have a little bit bigger of a risk tolerance, look at the cloud companies, specifically software as a service companies, companies like Twilio that we mentioned, Zendesk, HubSpot, um, and don't forget, as Jason said earlier, add exposure to banks, and I would recommend some exposure to energy as well. And Chris, one thing I will throw in there too, because we're talking about. It. I mean, I know it's a difficult time for a lot of folks, particularly if they were buying into highs and now they're looking at fifty percent, sixty percent. Losses in some of these businesses that they own. One thing to consider. I mean, this is something you can really only see in hindsight. So you're going to have to trust me a little bit. Uh, but the longer you remain invested, the more likely you're going to have winners in your portfolio that have done well and have compounded over time. Right? I think we can all agree on that. They're not all going to be winners, but the longer that you remain invested, you're going to have you're going to have more winners. And the longer, the better. And so when you're in that position, these types of sell-offs they just don't hit as hard psychologically speaking. So you see your DocuSign position has gone from a five-bagger to a three-bagger. Or maybe your Amazon position has gone from a 10-bagger to a seven-bagger. That's just much easier to stomach, particularly when you know these businesses are performing fundamentally well. And so that's why I think it's very important. We always talk about this, but it's why it's so important for investors to start investing as soon as you possibly can. And furthermore, to remain invested through thick and thin. You're never going to own a 10-bagger trying to trade in and out of that position. But the longer that you own those stocks, the longer you remain invested. It is just far easier to stomach times like these. All right, let's get to some stock news. GameStop in the spotlight on Friday shares up on reports that the video game retailer is starting a new division to focus on crypto partnerships and NFTs. Jason, before the market opened, shares of GameStop were up 25-30%. That settled down pretty quickly after the market actually opened for trading. 
Well, that's I'm I'm glad <laughs> the the meme stock uh, craze continues on. Uh, that said, I, I do think that if you are a believer in crypto and in NFTs, and for the record, I personally don't have any interest in them myself, but I also fully understand there's a lot of enthusiasm behind them. Uh, but but if you're a believer, I think this is really a smart move as, as management could make with this business. I mean, CEO Matt Furlong came in from Amazon, so you have to imagine he was part of a culture there of innovation and experimentation, uh, being encouraged to take risks like this. Uh, I think that gaming and entertainment, the metaverse, these are the places where, to me at least, crypto and NFTs probably have the best opportunity to flourish, at least in the near term. And, and so, so, from that perspective, you can't fault them for trying. I mean, GameStop is still a business sort of spinning its wheels, trying to figure out a new direction. Uh, and, and so, they have, have decided to pursue this avenue. They are signing important partnerships to, to uh, try to, to see what the opportunity in, in this space is and if it's one worth pursuing. So, uh, I, I, given, given what we've seen with this business over the past several years, I absolutely do not fault them for trying, trying this, and hopefully it works out for them. After the break, we've got a new survey in consumer tech and a new beverage partnership to wet your whistle. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Three months after the sudden passing of longtime CEO Brian Goldner, Hasbro has named his successor. Chris Cox has been heading up Hasbro's digital gaming division, and he will move into the corner office in late February. So, Jason, if anyone was wondering about the importance of digital in Hasbro's future, I think we have our answer. Yeah, well, the company has had a tough several years. The stock is up only around 25% over the last five years, but trailing the market significantly. And so you talk about pivots. I mean, Hasbro in the past was just a toy company, but in this day and age, it's not going to cut it. You have to have a digital entertainment strategy. And to be sure, the business is steering itself in that direction. And you look there on the investor relations site, and it calls itself a global play and entertainment company committed to creating the world's best play and entertainment experiences. Uh, to me, I, I think this is a sensible move. Lots of experiences there with Microsoft and the gaming market itself. So, I would be cautiously optimistic with this one. The turnaround continues for Bed Bath & Beyond. The third quarter results were hurt by continued problems with the supply chain. Bed Bath & Beyond also cut guidance for the full fiscal year. And, Ron, more store closures are coming. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Shares initially sold off on this news pre-market, and then you know, that wasn't surprising because the headlines look pretty bleak. But once investors digested the full story, the stock rallied. Also, admittedly, it's possible we had some residual meme stock short covering going on, so it might not have all been fundamentals. But relatively weak quarter, some bright spots, sales down 28% as a result of a 14% decline from divestitures and store closings. So that shouldn't have been a surprise. But also a 14% decline in core sales, 7% comp decline. But we saw improved momentum in November, overall strong gross margins. The company was relatively quick to adjust pricing and promotions and product mix, which led to an adjusted gross margin rate significantly ahead of plan, above 2020 and 2019. 
But supply chain disruptions still, you know, rearing its ugly head. Estimated $100 million sales impact in the quarter. Bye Bye Baby was a bright spot. Loyalty program, another bright spot. They're continuing to cut costs. They're going to complete their $1 billion share of purchase program two years ahead of schedule. Still cash flow positive. Um, but they did lower their guidance only 12 times EBITDA, the current EBITDA projection. Recently, Apple's market cap reached $3 trillion, leaving some to question how much more room that stock has to run. But a survey out this week from Piper Sandler provides some color on Apple's strength among younger consumers. 87% of teenagers in the U.S. own an iPhone, and Jason, 88% of them say their next phone will be an iPhone as well. We've talked a lot about that ecosystem, and it shows up in surveys like this. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, it's not really surprising. I think, generally speaking, it feels like what you start out with is more or less what you're going to stick with. Uh, so, we know that iPhones have a tremendous presence here domestically, but I think it also represents an important opportunity for investors to think beyond the U.S. and understand that we are only a small piece of the overall global pie. Um, so, while Apple remains very strong here domestically, I mean, it's worth remembering that Android represents essentially 75% of active smartphones around the world today. Um, so, so it's it's always worth keeping that in mind. Apple, a tremendous ecosystem. That closed garden, that walled garden, I think works well for some, uh, but but it doesn't work well for all. Jens, am I correct that the iPhone subsidies are back? Was there a year or two where I was paying full price for my phone, and now I'm getting $500 off, $800 off? They're begging me to come in the carriers so they can get my business from the carrier perspective. You're not turning up your nose at five hundred dollars, are you? No, I love it. It's like I feel bad that I spent the full price a couple of years ago. Like I miss those subsidies. I'm happy to see them back. Well, Ron, much like stocks, I mean, timing is everything, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, price always matters. <laughs> The third quarter earnings report that Constellation Brands issued this week included news of a new product. Constellation is the beer, wine, and spirits company with such brands as Corona Beer, Modelo, and Robert Mondavi Wines. The company is teaming up with Coca-Cola to create cocktails under the Fresca soft drink brand. Fresca mixed cocktails are due to launch here in the United States later this year. Ron, I said this to Bill Mann earlier in the week. I think if you're a shareholder of either company, you have to be excited about the prospects for this. Yeah, you know, we usually love to make fun of this stuff, but I'm having trouble. I think this is a good idea. It makes good sense. Grapefruit is a flavor that lends itself to perhaps not drinking straight in a carbonated way, like Fresco was originally intended, but as a mixed cocktail. I really like it. Um, Coke following up on the success of Topo Chico hard seltzer. You know, we have PepsiCo with their hard Mountain Dew in conjunction with Boston Beer. Uh, I like these partnerships here, as long as the flavor profiles make sense. So obviously, the canned cocktail business is is pretty strong, somewhat oversaturated in certain areas, but overall pretty exciting. I like this move. Well done. All I can tell you, Ron, if they do not find a way to incorporate Caddyshack into this <laughs> offering, I am going to be sorely disappointed. That would be great. Little memo to the marketing folks at Constellation Brands and Coca-Cola. <laughs> All right, guys, sit tight, because up next, we are heading to Sin City to check in on the news from the Consumer Electronics Show. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. 
got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn So get those stakes up higher There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there They're all living the devil may care And I am just a devil with love and spare So fever Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you may have noticed a change this week. Motley Fool Money has gone from being a weekly show to a daily show. And by daily, we mean seven days a week. So please follow us on your favorite podcast app because on Saturday, we've got the co founders of The Motley Fool, Tom and David Gardner, talking about their approach to investing and what they look for in companies. On Sunday, we have a one-on-one interview with Becky Quick, the co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Box. You are going to enjoy both of these conversations, so please follow us on your favorite podcast app. This week in Las Vegas, CES, the largest consumer electronics trade show in the world, was going on. Let's get to some of the headlines and new products being unveiled. Ron, in automotive news, we got a bunch. Uh, Sony showed off their new electric SUV. Stellantis, which is the company formerly known as Fiat Chrysler, announced a big partnership with Amazon. So, Amazon's going to be providing cloud services uh, and software in the cars. Uh, Anything stand out to you? Yeah, that Stellantis remains a terrible name. <laughs> but, but aside from that, Chris, <laughs> I digress. Um, there, there is a lot of cool stuff. I'm not a, necessarily a car guy, but there's some interesting tech going in here. As you mentioned, Stellantis is going to work with Amazon developed on the development of their smart cockpit digital platform. Amazon also is expanding its Fire TV integration to Ford and Lincoln because, you know, who needs... You know, more than a TV uh, in your car, but thankfully these things are disabled for the driver. Um, so I think we can uh, allow the passengers to enjoy all the things that come with the cloud, um, and the driver can can focus on the road. Google announced a new USB wireless adapter that can put wireless Android Auto into older vehicles. This one's a little wacky. BMW uh, introduced a digital art mode, so you got some digital art in the cabin of your car. Uh, it changes the ambient light. It changes the sounds to produce what they're calling a holistic user experience. That's a little too much for me. I'm not sure we need that. But Sony's electric SUV that will complete uh, compete with the uh, Tesla Model Y looks interesting to me. Yeah, Jason, I mean, we're going to get to some of the uh, stranger products coming out of CES in a minute here. But it, it does seem like, generally, we've seen this larger presence from the automotive industry over the past decade or so at CES. And uh, you know, putting aside the holistic art show that's going to happen inside some vehicles out there, it seems like a lot of the news we get in the automotive industry out of CES um, are genuine upgrades. They make the case for buying new vehicles rather than pre-owned. Yeah, and I do. I think that when you set foot in a a new car these days, and and you still have the the memory of an older car, ten year old car, for example. I mean, it it really does stand out how how far vehicles have come along in really what is a relatively short period of time. And 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 I, I really. You know, we talk about these cars. Essentially, they're just computers on four wheels now, and there's a lot to that, um, which is why I think you look at a lot of these these companies in the in the semiconductor space. 
and I think they represent really attractive opportunities, not only because they're pursuing that that automobile opportunity, but because they have diversified businesses that pursue other opportunities as well, uh, whether it's gaming or or you know anything else in in, in that line. So uh, you look at companies like Nvidia with its drive platform continuing to advance there. If you look at companies like Qualcomm, they continue to grow that automotive offering uh, automotive uh, offering out as well. And I think uh, to me. Tesla, to me, has always been sort of the name that has stood out of the forefront in, in the, the EV conversation and just uh, this sort of computer on wheels uh, conversation. But we're seeing more and more now, a lot of these businesses are starting to catch up. I think it's really neat to see what Ford is doing uh, with, with that, uh, what is it, the F-150 pickup. I mean, the demand there seems to be going through the roof. Uh, so, it's very understandable that this is becoming a big theme uh, at CES. I don't think that's going to be just this year. I think it's going to be for many years to come. Samsung unveiled a 110-inch micro-LED television for the low, low price of $150,000. Ron, (laughs) let's just go ahead and stipulate that there's not a huge addressable market of people willing to pay that amount of money for a television. But it does lead to this question. Is part of the case for televisions like this so that Samsung can boost prices of other televisions. And not just Samsung, anyone is making televisions. If you're making the super high-end TV, we've seen the price of really good televisions drop dramatically over time. I'm wondering if this is an attempt to try and boost those prices back up again. You know, they also have an 89-inch model, which I'm sure is much more reasonable. So if you're if you're on a budget, <laughs> you can check that one out. You know, I think I think at the lower end. TVs have become commodities, but they're really high-tech commodities, which is so cool for consumers. It's just it's really great. Um, when there is a technological differentiation, then you have some pricing power. And for a while, you can kind of raise prices, keep them high, right up until you can't. Because after a little bit of time, not very much, everybody else moves on, moves in as well. And then you have to stay a little bit ahead of the curve to get that little premium price point. I think for the most part, this is a commoditized business. We love CES, Jason, not just for the cutting-edge tech, but also for the tech that makes us, as investors, ask, why would a company spend money to research and develop that? (laughs) So, let's get to a few of the actual products that were unveiled at CES this week. Invoxia, a company that showed off a smart dog collar that has a GPS, but also a health monitor, so you can track your dog's heart rate and respiration. Jason, you have dogs. Can I interest you in what amounts to a Fitbit for your dogs? Well, you're right, Chris. I do have three dogs. I love them dearly. Um, but but this, I, I, I'm going to take a pass on this. And, and, and I, it's, not, it's not that I don't care about them. Of course, I love them, Chris. But there are certain things I just don't really need to know. I, I think Mac put it wonderfully just the other day. You know, hey, a little mystery is okay. We don't need to know everything that our dogs are doing. Now, with that said, I mean, this is we're obviously having a little bit of fun here. I really do believe this is something that a lot of pet owners would buy into. I mean, there are folks out there. Based on maybe where they live, or based on maybe their schedule that they hold, where this would serve a lot of value um, beyond just the health benefits, right? I mean, the tracking alone. I mean, for for 
you know, the longest time, you ultimately, you could chip your dog, right? You could, you could have the, the chip injected, which basically gave them that uh, that, that location. And, and, and a lot of places uh, have really, really benefited from that technology. But this is taking it to the next level. Uh, my, my biggest my biggest problem here is, you know, we don't, we, we only, we need another device to charge. I mean, I appreciate the fact that it charges and lasts for a few weeks, but really, I mean, you need another device to charge. And that's where I think maybe this becomes a problem. But as a pet lover, I do think it's neat technology, and I, and I absolutely be, believe that there will be plenty of folks out there wanting this. So, speaking of charges, how about the charge to my credit card? The GPS feature requires a $12.99 monthly subscription. There's love, and then there's love. I mean, that 13 bucks <laughs> a month adds up. Kohler, the bath and plumbing business, unveiled something they're calling the Perfect Fill Bath System. I guess you can integrate your bathtub into your smart home with this system so that on your smartphone, you can, with just a touch of a button or a voice command, you can order your bathtub to run a bath for you at the exact temperature you want. Ron, I think the addressable market for this is even smaller than the addressable market for the people willing to shell out 150 grand for a new television. Chris, someone in my family who will remain nameless just yesterday said to me, you know, a good bath is underrated. And maybe that's true because I haven't honestly taken a bath in a really, really long time. But if I had all the money in the world, this would be pretty cool, but it's $2,700. Uh, as you say, that's a pretty small adjustable market. Pretty cool technology, but pretty small. You know, Ron, I think if you had presented this to me, just before Christmas, <laughs> I would have probably scoffed at it. I mean, now as as, as you, someone in my house who will remain nameless, is, <laughs> is a bath lover, and, and we recently had our bathroom renovated, put in a great tub and everything, and, and, and so that's that's really been a very uh, a, a wise investment on our part. Um, you know, I got a Traeger grill for Christmas, Ron. And now grills aren't tubs, but I will tell you one thing that I have just been amazed by is the connectivity with the Traeger grill. So now I have the app on my phone that connects to my grill. I can monitor the temperature of the grill. I can monitor the temperature of the food on the grill. I can control everything just at the touch of a button there while sitting in my home in the warmth of my home, watching my under $150,000 television set and <laughs> sipping on a nice beverage, right? So, I mean, I, 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 if you asked me before Christmas, I probably would have scoffed at it. Now, hey, I, I at least get that. So, it all really depends on priorities and what you love. If you're a bath lover, I could certainly see this paying off. Let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boy. Dan, uh, thoughts on the Perfect Fill bath system? Yeah, Chris, you know, the worst thing about taking a bath is how long it takes my servants to bring up the hot water <laughs> bucket by bucket from the boiler room to the clawfoot copper tub in my sitting room. And it's it's just a real hassle. And also, they get angry after a while. Water, af after all, is quite heavy. So I think this is a great thing for anyone who owns a, a mansion in the 1700s. So I'm all for it, yeah. Well, let's close with a product at a much lower price point, but ranks much higher on what I like to call the creepy scale. <laughs> a company called Sengled introduced a heart monitoring light bulb. That's right, it's a light bulb that tracks your sleep and monitors your heart rate while you're sleeping. Ron, <laughs> they could give this to me for free and I still wouldn't want it. <laughs> 
Not coming until Q4. No price information available. I'm really, really curious to see what it costs, and I need to know if you accidentally dim the bulb, does it call 911? Does it get get concerned that you might not be okay? <laughs> Energy level is low. <laughs> Dan, any interest in a free heart monitoring light bulb that tracks your sleep? Absolutely, Chris. So I don't know about you guys in your marriages, but a lot of people in my house tend to argue about who snores and how much. And I think this is the kind of thing that, if installed surreptitiously, might be able to put paid to that argument. Up next, we will dip into the full mailbag, and we've got a couple of stocks on our radar. So stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. People on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Our email address is radio at fool.com. Question from Jeff in Colorado who writes I'm curious how you think about rebalancing and adding to your winners. I have 25 stocks in my portfolio, and five to 10 of them are disproportionate in value since I've owned them for more than five years. And they include big winners like Chipotle and Tesla. I'm torn between adding to these or rebalancing funding to be more balanced into others, even though I still believe in them. Jason, the proverbial good problem to have yeah, that my yeah, winners are, are so big, they're outbalancing the others in my portfolio. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of us, we do like to let those winners keep on doing their thing. Uh, the, the flip side of that is that those positions can they can start to get big enough to where you might start losing a little sleep there. And, and I think that that's going to be a different line for everyone. And, and, and if you reach that point, then it is worth considering um, rebalancing and exactly how you would do that. Maybe you trim from those positions slowly. I, I would really emphasize slowly. Uh, to to consider putting into new ideas, and so for me as an investor, I think we all like to find more winners, right? So over time, they become more apparent, and as you keep on investing, you in theory should get more and more winners, and and I think that really uh, ultimately helps uh, make this a little bit of an easier decision. So maybe now you have five to ten winners that you want to let do their thing, but you keep investing, and maybe in a few years that increases to fifteen to twenty winners, and so then rebalancing becomes less of an issue because you're better diversified with all of those additional winners, and that kind of goes back to that point I was making earlier. In the show, staying invested for longer periods of time, that, that really can help make a big difference in perspective and psychology. Uh, agree with all of that. I would just uh, one caveat don't equate diversification with the number of stocks you hold, because if you have two or three or four that are really outsized, you're actually not probably as diversified as you think you are. So, be careful with that. Think about return potential going forward. Are those winners that you're adding to, do they have the same return potential or better than maybe something else you could put into your portfolio that is new? You always want to optimize your portfolio with by owning the best stocks at any given time. Question from David, who writes, I've heard you talk about the importance of reading a company's S1 before they go public. 
Is it necessary to read the whole filing, or would you recommend sticking to a few important sections to get the whole financial picture? I hate to sound lazy, but they're really long. You know what, guys? I'm with David on this one. They are long. <laughs> well, this gave me a, this gave me an idea. I mean, you had Cliff Notes growing up for school, right? I mean, maybe this is where you get the Cliff Notes for S ones. When it comes to my money, I try not to be lazy, but it's really difficult. I completely <laughs> understand. I would flip through all of it, but I'd pay more close attention to the business description, the financials, the expected use of the IPO funds, and who is selling. That's important. The management team and the risks. There's a lot of other stuff in there, too. You can kind of flip through the rest of that. Also, if history is any guide, look at things like who do they list as their competitors and what do they say is their total addressable market? And yes, I'm thinking about Uber when they came out and said their total addressable market was everyone on the planet. <laughs> Basically, look, <laughs> look for the nonsense. Look for the things that just stand out as red flag nonsense. All right, let's get to the stocks on our radar this week. Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, is going to hit you with a question. Jason Moser, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? Yeah, well, let's go back to cars, a company I've talked about before on the show, Serence, ticker CRNC. Uh, recently, former CEO Sanjay Dewan uh, resigned from the company, seemingly out of the blue, uh, and, and Dr. Stefan Ortmans replaces him. Now, now uh, Ortmans has 20 years with the business, serving as EVP and the leader of Serence's core products business. He's very familiar with this business and its strategy. And, and it, was, it was pretty amazing, actually, the stock hit a low of $63 on the day of that announcement. Understandably, it came out of the blue, but it closed just under $70 and seems to have recovered since then. But just speaking of the the CES 2022 show, they were just recognized by CES 2022 for their Serence Co-Pilot offering, which analyzes a combination of voice, gaze, gesture, and touch input and information from the car's sensors ultimately giving the driver a more intuitive and connected experience. But even furthermore, it can control smart home and IoT, Internet of Things devices, so lighting in your house, appliances, garage door openers, payments, and even more. I mean, when we talk about cars being computers on four wheels, this is what we mean. And so, I think that uh, it, it certainly is very understandable why automobiles remain such a big uh, part of CES this year and going forward. Serence is certainly a company to pay attention to in the space. Dan, question about Serence? Yeah, you know, one of the most annoying things about getting out of the car is waiting for my coachman to open the door for me, set the furnace going again, light the fire in my sitting room next to my, of course, clawfoot copper tub uh, so I can come inside and have it warm. So this, to me, sounds like a great idea. Hey, listen, first world problems, right, Dan? We all suffer. Absolutely. Ryan Gross, what are you looking at this week? Oh, my Dan Boyd, I'm fired today. I'm, uh, I'm taking a look at some of the high flyers that have sold off that we talked about earlier, and Roblox RBLX is one of them. Roblox is a gaming platform built by players who create virtual worlds that others can explore and enjoy. Within that platform, players pay real dollars in order to purchase Robux, which is the in-game currency. They spend the Robux to engage in experiences and buy stuff. The company shares with the developers a large portion of those Robux. The developers then convert their received Robux back into real dollars. It's a very interesting business model. Roblox makes money on the portion of the Robux it keeps, as well as the difference between what it sells them for and what they redeem them for. 
49 million daily active users and growing pretty significantly. Not profitable yet. Does generate positive cash flow, however. Shares are off 40% from their 52-week high as the Nasdaq sell-off continues. Friday announced it had taken down its Chinese app to prepare for the next iteration. So, I'm curious to watch that. I wonder if there's more to the news than meets the eye. Dan, question about Roblox? Not really a question, Chris, but more of an observation. This sounds like a great way to launder money. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to add to your watch list, Dan? Well, as you know, I am a 1700s mansion owner, so I'm going to go Searance because that coachman, he's just so slow. All right. Jason Moser, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. That's going to do it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. 